Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome, like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out of pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. This is Paige, the co host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving Olive in June. Olive in June gives you everything that you need for a salon quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive in June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive in June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. Hello and welcome to the news meeting. This is the podcast where we bring you into the newsroom, where I hope you'll hear the arguments that happen in news meetings like this every day. Three journalists are going to try and pitch their story of the week, the story that they think should lead the news. Together we're going to try and make sense of it, what it means, where even it might lead. I'm James Harding, I'm the editor of Tortoise, and I've worked in many newsrooms, newsrooms like these, the Times newspaper, I was the director of BBC News, and in each one my job has been the same, to try and make a judgement about what the running order should be. So from Podimo and Tortoise, welcome to the news meeting. This week, it's felt a little as though we've travelled back in time, as if the headlines have been dominated by stories that we thought were behind us, stories that we thought were safely shut away, COVID lockdowns, Brexit. So how does a newsroom deal with those kinds of stories, stories that maybe the public are bored of, but nonetheless are back in the news? To discuss that, I'm joined by three journalists. Liz Mosley is an editor here at Tortoise. She worked for The Times, The Telegraph, Heat and L, and she's proved to be... I was going to say a formidable contender, a winner. Should we even say a winner? I think winner is clearer. Winner is better than My contender. Not... <laughs> and here's Kat Nealon, bringing a sense of calm and equanimity <laughs> to the whole proceedings. Kat, as you may have guessed from her comments now, is the political editor of Tortoise. She's been busy this week with everything that's going on in Westminster and with the podcast that we're working on for next week. Kat, welcome back. Thank you. And Mark and Andrew runs all of the live events here at Tortoise, brings people into our newsroom. He's a regular on the news meeting. And um, I suppose you too have got a taste for winning. Did you not? Yeah, it's a week you weren't here. So I, <laughs> oh, I see. To see what happens. It's going to be now. like that. Yeah. All right. <laughs> this is going to go well. All right. Well, before we hear their pitches, uh, let's just remind ourselves of some of the stories of the week. $1.6 billion defamation suit against Fox News. Chairman Rupert Murdoch admitted under oath that the host of the accused Fox shows endorsed this idea of a stolen election. We have now made a decisive breakthrough. I'm going to find it very difficult to vote for something myself because I believe that we should have done something different. There are concerns bird flu may spread between humans after two cases were discovered within the same family. It is concerning that it's gone global so quickly. The FBI has for quite some time now assessed that the origins of the pandemic are most likely a potential lab incident in Wuhan. Matt Hancock, WhatsApp his aide 
Tell me if I'm wrong, but I would rather leave it out and just commit to test and isolate all going into care from hospital. Selective snippets of WhatsApp conversations give a limited and at times misleading insight into the machinery of government. Seriously, seriously, anyone who thinks I did this for money must be utterly insane. Right. Well, those are the stories, or at least a flavour of the stories of the week, but what do the three of you think are the stories that should lead the news? Let's start with long stories short. Liz, what's yours? How to fox up your election coverage. Cat? Mine is the Greek tragedy that happens when you are blinded by your own ambition. Mark? <laughs> Don't panic, but it's poultry Armageddon. Hang on, I'm just trying to work it out. This turned into a sort of different kind of thing. It's the sort of news equivalent of Wordle, isn't it? You get lots and lots of little clues and eventually you'll piece them together. All right, well, why don't we start, Liz, with, uh, uh, with you? Yeah, so um, Rupert Murdoch, esteemed chair of Fox Corporation, has admitted um, in a formal legal um, deposition, uh, which was published this week, that uh, star news anchors on Fox News in the US um, endorsed claims of widespread election fraud in the 2020 election. And as part of that deposition, um, actually, there's been two big filings. We see the details of the most extraordinary WhatsApp messages, phone calls, emails that basically demonstrate that the people who run Fox News, all of them pretty much were in agreement that the claims of election fraud were totally untrue, but they broadcast them anyway. And just sort of take us through it slowly. So Who's bringing the case? Why does Murdoch have to make a deposition? Bringing the case is a company called Dominion Voting Systems, and they basically manufacture these electronic voting machines um, that are used in 28 American states uh, when they run an election. And the sort of heart, if you like, the engine room of the big lie about how um, the election was stolen from from Trump in 2020 is an accusation that Dominion Voting Systems were basically fiddling their own software in order to suppress Republican votes in those key states. That's the heart of it. And the legal challenge is being brought by that organisation for $1.6 billion for defamation. So the case that they are trying to prove is um, that the the legal bar is actual malice or reckless disregard for the truth in order to achieve the sort of, um, to satisfy, to to win the case, basically, to prove that they were defamed in in that by Fox. And I was always told that although I never really agreed with that, I was always told that only media is interested in media stories. Why, if you're not in the world of journalism or 24-hour TV news, should you care about Dominion versus Fox? Well, people care about succession. And although <laughs> any, any similarity to real people is entirely coincidental, th- this, is, this genuinely is a pass-the-popcorn moment because we get to really properly see inside how the Fox News sausage is made. And I don't think it is fair to say, like, Fox is not an inconsequential organisation. And the 2020 election that Biden won over Trump is not an inconsequential political story. So purely on the basis of scale, this is something that really matters. And because the nature of the case is basically putting the First Amendment is the thing that's on the table, that's Fox's defence. They say, it is okay for us to broadcast accusations, even if we know that they're not true, because the person making those accusations is the sitting president of the United States. Dominion voting systems say you can't do that because you're a news organisation and the First Amendment doesn't extend to your right to broadcast things that you know are false. So, sorry, Liz, I, I've, I've probably paid more attention than is healthy to this story. 
Is that right? The, the Fox case is that the First Amendment right, the right of free speech, is accorded to the President of the United States. It's not that Fox News, by being itself a journalistic enterprise, has rights to freedom of speech, even if what it's saying is untrue. It seems to be that they, that they as a news organisation, have the right to broadcast if they deem the accusations to be newsworthy. And their, their argument would seem to be, if it's the President making said accusations, that's what makes it newsworthy. So that's where they sort of say the line is. So, so let's just take an example. So if the the argument would run, if the Prime Minister of this country, mm. by example, said, I've got a brilliant new business idea, we're going to turn the moon, which as we know is made of cheese, into a giant cheese factory, they would be able to say, we have the right to broadcast or publish that information because it's newsworthy, even though we know the moon's not actually made of cheese. I think that that is the extent, I think that's where you end up, yeah, I do. All right, so before we turn to other stories, just on its own merits, does that strike you, Kat, as a story that should lead the news? I know that you love it, James, and not wishing to do my arch nemesis down. Um, <laughs> I don't. I, I, it's a great story, but I'm not sure it's the story for the UK audience. Mark? Agreed. It's an important story, but I, it's an important media story at the moment. Very good. All right. We will come back. Damn. We will come back. Exactly. Damn. Not interesting. Who listens to the podcast, Mark? Yeah. I love also the, the, the skill and style that we're developing in doing in other people's stories. Not interesting here. I've taken, not interesting I've taken to Keith most normal people. I'm running with it. Not interesting, Liz. I think I'm very gentle. Um, right, Kat, why don't we do your story next? Well, because we love a media story, my story is government by WhatsApp. It is the uh, lockdown files as revealed by The Telegraph. 100,000 WhatsApp messages sent back and forth between Matt Hancock and various other people. Uh, the Telegraph is revealing them in a sort of drip, drip way. So far, um, some of the key revelations have been about um, whether or not uh, he was taking clinical advice when it came to um, testing people as they went into care homes. Um, it is about uh, using his privileged position to get front pages on, on the Evening Standard by messaging uh, George Osborne repeatedly. Um, it is about face masks and the decision on face masks being taken primarily because they didn't want to get into a row with Nicola Sturgeon. It is about the reopening of schools. And, um, and I think fundamentally it's also about sort of showing the, the sort of not very serious way that a lot of this stuff was treated. The language used and the tone used in some of these messages was really quite cavalier. And But the reason why I think it's a media story and the reason I've pitched it as the Greek tragedy is because I think the story is actually Matt Hancock believing that Isabel Oakeshott, who was avowedly anti-lockdown, um, sceptic throughout all of this and not a political ally of Matt Hancock and has form in not always standing by her sources, that he could trust her and give her his phone, access to all of these messages, um, and she would do exactly as he expected her to, write a nice book that would show him in a glorious light. Can I ask a couple of like really practical in-the-weeds questions? 100,000 messages? Yeah. 
how did he do the day job? Is it 100,000 messages all in all, i.e. the messages he sent and back and yeah, forth? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So the Telegraph says it's 2.3 million words, three times the size of the Bible. Is his the, WhatsApp the life? The total tranche of, of, of information they've got. And obviously Matt Hancock made the news in several ways in recent years. Yes. Are we saying that he handed over his phone? Yes. With all the details, To a family, person you would probably describe as hostile to his worldview. That's amazing. Yeah. All right, Mark and Liz, putting aside the extraordinary qualities of your own stories, Mm -hmm. do you think just on the basis that this is... Actually, sorry, before you you ask, turn it over to my competitors, can I just say... Colleagues, uh, yeah. Well, (laughs) potato, potato. Um, (laughs) The thing that I do think... um, there is a justification on the sort of public interest side of things. And I, I don't think that it would have been a whitewash, but I can easily see why the inquiry, why people do not have faith in the inquiry. It has been delayed, delayed, delayed. This is in the COVID inquiry. The COVID inquiry. Other countries have done theirs, completed theirs already, as hasn't even started properly yet. It's, have they? Well, other countries, like, for, for example, where have they done it? Uh, Sweden, I France, think. I think, France, I think it's finished. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean... You know, people are saying this is being just kicked into the long grass. Well, that was certainly Isabel Oakeshott's argument. And one of the points that she made in one of her columns defending the decision was that when she wrote the book, the Cabinet Office requested over 300 deletions from the book. So if you are someone, as she is, who is already sceptical about the decisions that were made and sceptical that there is going to be any kind of uh, responsibility taken or blame apportioned, then I can see from that worldview why you believe that you have to do this. Okay. That might be a generous... By the way, that was, that's quite an important intervention just to kind of bump the story up. Okay, Liz, Mark, what do you think, though, just, just on that basis, that it is, A, telling you about something which is as significant as anything that's happened in our lifetimes, and B, it is also about a truth and transparency that we weren't getting. Yeah, it's absolutely a massive, massive story, without <laughs> question. I think it's huge, and I think, it's, I think it's, it's big now, and it will continue to be big over the next, I don't know if it's weeks or months, but I, I think seeing inside the workings of government as you say, at that moment in time that none of us will ever forget is a completely extraordinary thing. The way it's happened just adds to the story. It doesn't detract from it. Mark? Yeah, I think it's important. I think it's added probably a bit more soap opera to the story that it didn't really need. And I'm kind of more interested in what happens next in a proper inquiry, really. If you thought the only way to get a more defined jawline with natural-looking results was through surgery, think again. Juvederm Volux XC is a non-surgical injectable gel filler that improves moderate to severe loss of jawline definition and can help you achieve natural-looking results with little downtime. Even better, this improved definition lasts up to one year with optimal treatment. No maintenance required. Improve jawline definition for a smooth, sculpted look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. All right. Well, 
Let's go to our third and final story, yours, Mark. And uh, yeah, what are you pitching this week? So mine isn't sexy, but this is the moment that if this was a Netflix drama, the ominous music would start playing in the background. Um, it's been such jolly music up to now. It's, I was going to say, that's right. Roll on. So, uh, and the reason that I think this story is important is because we are now all armchair epidemiologists. um, And this is an important science story that has the potential to be chronically misreported. Um, It puts huge focus on our food supply chain, what we eat, where it comes from. And I say this as an ardent meat eater. uh, It highlights the vulnerabilities of a meat-based diet. And also, frankly, birds don't come out of this very well. Um, So the news is that this week the government is drawing up mass vaccination plans um, for H5N1. Uh, This is a massive undertaking. It's going to involve vaccinating tens of millions of birds. I mean, at any one time, there's about 140 million birds, chickens, alive in the UK. And it's it would require a change in the law because at the moment H5N1 vaccinations are, are, are prevented. Uh, legally. Um, And the reason that they're looking to do this is because the H5N1 situation has got really serious. It comes and goes out the news over the past few years. And what normally happens is there's a spike in infections. And then the winter months, it kind of disappears again. And last year, that didn't happen. Last year, it was picked up by the wild bird community, and they've sustained it and spread it further. So now there are more infections Uh, across Europe uh, than there have been before. And what's happening is things like seagulls are transmitting the infection from farms in France, England, and taking them to remote outcrops where seabird colonies who don't have any protection against this kind of thing are getting infected. All right, let's go slowly with us. What is H5N1 and what happens if a bird gets it and what happens if a person gets it? So H5N1 is otherwise known as avian flu. It's a virulent strain of bird flu. And the reason that scientists are particularly worried now and the government is also worried and thinking about lifting this vaccine ban is because we are there are there are five levels to pandemic infection. And at the moment, H5N1 bird flu, which basically kills the bird, is in level three, which is bird to bird. And what they're worried about now is there are signs we are rubbing up against level four, which is bird to mammal. There has been um, a number of events which have raised alarm bells. The first one is there's been a number of mass sea lion deaths in Europe and in Latin America, which no one can 100% say for sure yet, they're still carrying out the tests, that H5N1 is the cause. But the fact that Ecuador announced its first case of H5N1 in January this year is significant because it's never been to Latin America before. And if it goes through Latin America, it will spread, it will torch through those very important uh, bird uh, diverse populations down to the tip of the continent. And then it's a doorstep away from Antarctica, which is bad news if you're a penguin. So this is oh worrying times. Two people have died in the last, this year. Uh, two in, young, in the UK or globally? Globally. Uh, a young girl died in uh, Cambodia and the Cambodian Pasteur Institute has decoded the H5N1 virus that she caught and they maintained, they're saying it's still very much a bird virus, but they'd noticed changes in the virus which showed that it was adapting to cause more damage in humans. Uh, and Mark, sorry, just explain one thing. The vaccine programme, yeah. is when you say you're going to vaccinate chickens how does that work yeah so it it involves manually injecting each bird 
No. Uh, it involves manually injecting each bird. This is one of the reasons why they're not mad on vaccination, because you have to inject each bird. Some vaccinations might require two doses at four to six weeks apart. When if you consider you need that, to get Nadim Zahawi on the phone. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and if you consider, he loves it. <laughs> if you consider that a chicken that you eat lives for about 50 days, so the population changes all the time. The egg-laying chickens last for about 18 months, so you would have to vaccinate them twice. Already we've had in the UK... Uh, they are recovering bodies of, of otters and foxes that are eating the dead wild birds that have died of H5N1. And then they're, and then they're dying of what? They're, well, so it's, not, it's, it's, it's slightly complicated. At the moment, they're not catching the virus and then dying. What happens is they're consuming such a large amount of it because a dead bird full of H5N1 is basically just virus. So they eat that and the sheer amount of virus they consume is then killing the otters and the foxes. At the moment, it's not being transmitted mammal to mammal. But what the scientists and the government are looking to do is, okay, we need to put a block on this now. The EU is going to make a decision in about two weeks time, whether or not they're going to introduce a a block wide program. Mexico rolled out emergency vaccinations and Ecuador after the death of a nine year old girl who had caught the virus, um, they're rolling out theirs. The US is holding out. And the reason that countries won't vaccinate straight away is because there are lots of controls over the export and import of vaccinated meat. It's worth pointing out that Brazil is the world's largest poultry exporter. And this is why the fact it's hit Latin America is now quite scary. And what's the impact of eating a vaccinated chicken? No one's quite sure. Oh, God. Which is why there are controls. Can I ask a question? Yeah. So, you said that it, it, at the moment it doesn't transfer from birds to humans, but yep. two people have died. So what happened there? So there's always anomalies when you have that kind of uh, uh, the, the numbers involved. It's just not a routine pattern. Yeah. So okay. basically, Wasn't the two the people Cambodian involved. Cambodian girl in there were a, there was a big number of birds that had died yeah. near where she lived. And she grew up on a farm. farm. She was on yeah. a poultry farm. They're testing poultry workers in the UK. They've been testing them regularly since Christmas, uh, and so far nothing has nothing has come out. The other reason as well that vaccination is a problem, because it's a bit of a blunt tool, the minute you start vaccinating birds, it becomes impossible to sort of trace who are the carriers, who's infecting it, because the numbers of birds are, I mean, it's it's huge. So up until now, it's always been about kind of control and and, and containment. Um, And so it's, I think it's quite a big thing. All right, well, listen, before I have a go at giving you what I think the running order should be, I, I want to hear from each of you what you think should lead the news. You know the name uh, of the game here is that you're not allowed to choose your own story, tempting as that must be. So, Mark, why don't you go first? What do you think should lead? I think I think the Murdoch Fox story should lead. I think uh, it feels more complete and, and sort of really self-contained than the WhatsApps one, which I think is just part of a larger thing. Cat. Birds or foxes? <laughs> Pick a team. And I'll take you to KFC afterwards. Uh, I thought we'd banned bribery after the last. Um, um, take your time. I'm going to go with Fox Dominion just because I agree. I think if it was human to human transmission, that would be the tipping point. Liz? COVID texts. No question. Oh, really? No question. Because? Because this is the beginning of, I don't know how many weeks worth of this stuff. I think it's going to get better, not worse. Better as in more. Ah. Juicy. Yeah. Better, better as in more revealing. Yes. 
And more significant both in terms of the politics and the politicians, but also the way... And the fallout. I mean, we were saying before we came in, there are hundreds of people across London, journalists, spads, advisors, who are at some point in those text messages and they are nervous. Yes, true. I did have someone message me saying it could bring down the entire government, so... It not, that you're, it's not that you're upping your story here, Kat, at all, but yes. It wasn't my um, mum. Well, I will. <laughs> all right, well, l- l- I'm going to have a go. And actually, fun enough, this is, the, this is a week that, unlike any other, in which a, all of the stories are really interesting. Actually, this is one of those days where any of those three stories, you could make a legitimate case why they would lead. Um, I find that the story that is most interesting to me personally, and I get most sort of fascinated by the details of, I'd actually run third. The story that I'm not the most sort of switched on and excited by, I'm actually to run first. And the story that I learnt most about in the course of this conversation comes in second. So let me explain why. I run the Fox story third, and the reason for it is that I think there are two massive issues in this story that really, really interest me as a journalist. One is the Dominion versus Fox argument. Dominion, surely we expect truth of our news organisations and the Fox argument, but we must defend the right to free speech even when that includes things that are untrue. That seems like an enormously important debate to understand. And actually listening to you, Kat, I was really struck by the importance of the role of the media. The idea that the media sets the terms of what the truth is or what the narrative is, politicians now have more unfettered access to audiences than ever before, either through First Amendment and parliamentary privilege or through their own LinkedIn, Twitter account, social media. So actually, there is a really important role for the media, perhaps more important than ever, to act as a check on what's true and what's not and choose what it puts out there. That's the reason why I think the Fox story is so interesting, but it's particularly interesting to me as a journalist, and that's why I'd run it third. I actually learnt most in the course of the conversation listening to Mark. You're I haven't welcome. paid enough uh, <laughs> attention to this story. Um, any story that manages to go all the way through manual vaccination of chickens, through foxes, otters, and to sea lions is is a story that touches everything. And as Mark may know, I've, I'm developing a kind of obsession and fascination with chickens, not quite at the level of my fascination with inflation, but the reason for this, Liz, Liz is pulling a particularly quizzical face. The reason is, I met an amazing uh, campaigner on biodiversity a couple of weeks ago who sent me an article they'd written on the way in which we humans have degraded our own uh, food systems on our own uh, uh, planet of animals. And he said, everyone talks about rhinos and polar bears, but actually, if you really want to understand the way in which we've changed the animals on the planet, look at our own food systems and pointed out that 71% of avian biomass, if you added up the weight of all the world's birds, 71% of them are chickens. And so... So that makes you think, actually, the way in which not just our own food economy, but actually our own the biodiversity, the, the animals of the planet work, it all requires us to understand chickens, and therefore that feels like a big story beyond just the threat of another pandemic. But it feels to me as though the reason why I think you do lead on Cat's story on COVID is your point, Liz. The, the 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 circumstances, the Isabel Oakshot, Matt Hancock, do you, don't you disclose... WhatsApps that you've got under a non-disclosure agreement, that's all kind of froth. The heart of it is that you actually get to see how decisions are made and you get both the public element of it, but the more private element in the way in which ministers talk to each other. And I think there's a real risk that after 
2020 and 2021 and 2022, when you had such disruption to our lives that we don't take time to really reflect on what happens and understand how decisions were made and how we responded. And it, therefore, it feels that it would be quite eccentric to look away at the first moment when we really do get to see how those things happen. So I would choose to lead on Kat's COVID story. I'd run Mark's chickens uh, and Fox and Dominion uh, comes third. Uh, and that is the news meeting. Hooray, I'll take that result. That was good. Yeah. <laughs> Very good. Well, for what it's worth, that's my judgment of how those stories should run in this week's news. And that's it for this week's news meeting. Thank you to Liz. Thank you, Mark. Thank you, Kat. Thank you for listening. Uh, next week, very excitingly, the former Labour cabinet minister and perhaps nearly as well known for his dancing, Strictly Come Dancing star, Ed Balls, is going to be in this editor's chair. He's going to be joined by three more journalists. Each of them are going to be trying to convince him that they have the story that mattered most that week. Please join him and them for the news meeting. And in the meantime, if you get the chance, will you do us a favour and review the show on whatever podcast app you use? It'll really help other people find it, and we'd love to build an audience that follows what we do and opens up our news meeting to you. To get early and ad-free access, you can subscribe to Tortoise Plus on Apple Podcasts.